Oh, hello again, and we are in week five of our Who Am I Discipleship module, and today we are looking at identity and homosexuality. It's worth noting as we begin that everybody has some source of authority that you use for helping you understand your sense of what is right and what is wrong. So sources of authority can be things like parents or the culture or school or friends or your own feelings. And these are those things that you kind of fall back on to say, this is how I will determine what is right and what is wrong. And Christians, though, are those that hold God's word as our ultimate authority, that we will subject everything under God's word uh, to determine what is right and what is wrong. And God's word is pretty clear. Homosexual practices are contrary to God's design. They are sinful. We can just look at a couple passages, Romans 1, 26 to 27. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Or we can go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. It's important to note that almost every time scripture mentions homosexuality, it's in a list with several other sins. So we need to be careful not to zoom in on that one particular sin and and treat it as just an entirely different category of sin when scripture actually puts it along the list of other sins like greed or adultery or cheating people. Additionally, when scripture is speaking of homosexuality, it is condemning acts, not inward feelings, or even an orientation, as we might put it. Now, just as Jesus showed that what arises in our heart is sin, homosexual desires are sinful, there is a significant difference between having that inward desire and acting out on it. In the same way that someone who maybe is tempted to commit adultery would not be disciplined for that sin unless they actually acted out on it and and their actions were adulterous. Churches are called to hold people accountable for our actions, our deeds. We cannot possibly be thought police. Now, again, that doesn't mean our thoughts are not sinful. We have to fight to conform even our thoughts to Christ. But it would be wrong to say there's no room in the church for someone who struggles with homosexual desires, as long as we allow people in the church that struggle with desires for greed or adultery or whatever it might be. Everybody brings sinful desires into the church. Now, today we tend to think of sexuality along a hetero-homosexual spectrum. And sometimes Christians kind of take the approach then that, well, what we really need to do is get people back to the heterosexual side, and then we can bring them to Christ. So I'm going to draw a couple diagrams. If you're watching on the, or listening on the podcast, uh, you can go to the YouTube page to, to see these as well. And, and hopefully I can explain what I'm drawing uh, so you get at least some idea of it. So if we were to think of sexuality as a spectrum, uh, we have, that's really bad. Let me try to write it so you can actually read it. Uh, we have hetero, 
And homo sexual desires, right? And it seems that research and other things indicated that people tend to fall somewhere along this spectrum, that it's not one or the other, but a lot of people can struggle with both types of sexual desires. Now, there are problems, though, when we as Christians buy into this sexuality spectrum. One of the reasons that it is a problem is it makes heterosexuality the gold standard for sexuality, as if there are no heterosexual sexual sins, which of course there are, like adultery and lust and pornography and, and all these other things. But because th those sins are listed right alongside homosexual sins in Scripture. Michael Hannon writes, It is true that homosexuality may be distinguished by an inappropriate despair, accepting sinful inclinations as identity constituting and thereby implicitly rejecting the freedom bought for us by the blood of Christ. So he's talking about the tendency in our culture to make your sexual inclinations a binding identity that, that is, is since overarches any other identity you might have, denying the freedom that people can find in Christ. But he continues, but heterosexuality in its pretensions to act as the norm for assessing our sexual customs is marked by something even worse, pride which St. Thomas Aquinas classifies as the queen of all vices. The problem is that I don't believe sexual orientation is a biblical category and often can hurt more than it helps. We need to kind of get rid of this way of thinking about it. And as I said, so often the way that the church has thought about it is we kind of, anyone that struggles with this, well, we kind of got to move them over to here and then we can bring them up to Christ if we get their sexuality worked out, right? But it ignores the, the thing that there are plenty of heterosexual sins that can keep someone from Christ. If you look at the history of sexual orientation, you'll discover that it emerged in literature about 150 years ago. And going back to what we said about the Bible passages that said that these acts are sinful, it is not talking about orientations that are sinful. In fact, I don't think you can get the idea of a sexual orientation from Scripture. So about 150 years ago, the taxonomy of sexual orientation emerged. And why was that? Well, back then, people believed that things like sodomy and other homosexual acts were wrong. But by the late 1800s, uh, Scripture was not seen, even back then, as a legitimate authority, particularly in the uh, elite uh, circles of society. And so psychologists and other scientists needed a way to say that homosexual acts and tendencies are wrong, but do it apart from Scripture. And so these categories were then created to describe what we call sexual orientation. It specified what is normal, heterosexuality, and then anything uh, different than that is abnormal for humans. And it gave uh, scientists and psychologists a taxonomy and a way to say that this is wrong scientifically without tying it to scripture. Now, when we take this approach, though, one of the unintended effects is that there is this pressure that sometimes we feel to move people from, well, first you got to go from homosexuality to heterosexuality, and then you can come to Christ. But again, heterosexuality 
in the most generic form, is not the gold standard of sexuality. Christ is, and he is someone who never experienced sex. Michael Hannon writes again, Of course, we do have a model, a norm for the evaluation of sexual deviancy, but the model is not heterosexuality. It is Christ Jesus himself, the God-man who both perfected human nature and perfectly exemplified its perfection, one, in, uh, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For the self-declared heterosexual to displace our Lord in this position is the height of folly. What then is a Christian model for understanding sexuality? Well, it goes back to those biblical categories for identity, that we are either in Adam or in Christ. And what Christians are called to is to live in a way that reflects their new identity in Christ. So let's bring in one more passage, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here Paul talks about lesser identities, ethnic, economic, and gender identities, which have often been the source of so many divisions throughout history. But then he says there is a greater identity, something that rises above these identities, that you are one in Christ. And see, this then kind of reorients the spectrum of sexuality. It really turns it into a triangle. where we are not trying to move people from one category of sin to another, but we are trying to move people from all our different sins to Christ. The goal is not heterosexuality, but for people to be in Christ. For the Christian, our sexuality, whether heterosexual temptations or homosexual temptations, should not define us. Christ should. So if we return to a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, where we have this list of typical sins within the church, those who indulge in sexual sin, so we can say sexual sins, those who worship idols, uh, those who commit adultery, Uh, those who practice homosexuality. Uh, those who are thieves and greedy people. And we could go on throughout the list. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now what you see is this, in one sense, levels the playing field. That there is a whole buffet of sins, and every one of us struggles with at least a couple of them. And what it says is, well, we don't want, you know, success isn't getting someone to give up their homosexual desires to then just have heterosexual uh, desires that can lead to sin as well. But our goal is for us to all recognize what our sins are and to find a new and greater identity in Christ so that you might not understand the particular struggle of someone with same-sex attraction, 
But if you are a Christian, you do understand the struggle of lifelong temptations for other sins and wrestling with it and sometimes doing well and sometimes failing and the need for the gospel to be rooted in your life day after day. So that we all, with all of our different sins, are encouraging one another not to let ourselves be defined by our sin, but working together and encouraging one another to put to death our old self, whatever self that might be in Adam, and to be renewed into the likeness of Christ. So that Colossians 3, 1-3 becomes the goal for all of us. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. The challenge is, for those of us who struggle with more socially acceptable sins, like greed or pride or drunkenness, that we need to take fighting our sin as seriously as those with sins that are less acceptable, because both types of sins are heinous to God. Christ demands change in every one of us. He does not allow anyone to stay the same when they come to him, but he offers them a new and better identity in Christ.